Welcome back to Bandit Brands Presents The Bandit Hour. What product from Bandit are you most excited about? On this episode of The Bandit Hour, Chad Belding and Bandit VPs of Product Development, Eric Larsgaard and Christian Curtis, have found the X. Mojo's going, Duck's bombing in by the hundreds. Get ready to listen, learn, and be pressed for answers. Let me ask you a question. If you shoot into a bunch of ducks, is that educating them? I was going to see if I can look it up. Bandit, our gear is tough. Our gear is short. And our gear works. Become a necessary part of the Bandit Nation today at Bandit.com. Now, here's your hosts, Chad Belding, Eric Larsgaard, and Christian Curtis. All right, we're giving a shout out. Christian Curtis just brought up the Sean Ryan podcast. Former U.S. Navy SEAL, CIA contractor, and founder of Vigilance Elite. We tell real stories about real people from all walks of life. We discuss the ups and downs, wins and losses, successes and struggles, the good and bad in a respectful but candid way with our guests. We're better than entertainment. We're the real thing. Please enjoy the show. Sean Ryan, I'm now subscribed as a recommendation of my friend Christian Curtis. I can't wait to hear these latest two episodes with Sarah Adams. That's what I'm starting with. Check it out. It's, He's awesome, huh? Yeah, it's freaking awesome. I'm telling you, don't, if you don't have an hour, don't start it because you can't stop. I did that one time with, you know, these podcasts kind of have turned into productions where they like do murder mystery. Have you seen any of that stuff? Like you could. So if you guys want to uh, listen to the one called In the Red Clay. Yep. Oh, God. That's the one that I started. I started that with Anna, and I literally listened to, I think, all nine episodes in one drive. Yeah, it's crazy. I kept going around Sacks and shit in Richmond, Virginia, because I was like, there's no way this guy was actually a hitman for the Dixie Mafia. And that lake where all those bodies were buried yeah. that they took you to, yeah. that's the lake that Anna's parents live on. Really? Yeah, and I'm like, dude, all these dead, that hitman or the hitman's son took him to that lake where the bodies were buried. Good grief. It's a big time bass fishing lake and a big, it's where the U.S. Olympic team has their rowing facility. Huh. That's crazy. God, what is it called? There's, lake there's, there's so much. I didn't listen to podcasts forever. I'm like, I don't know why. I, well, they probably weren't as good. You know, when they first came out, they were boring or whatever. Now, man, it's like that Sean Ryan one. He was like, I don't even watch TV. I just get on my phone and, and watch one of those at night. There's so like you, I think you were getting ready to say there's so much, there's so many, like, how do you choose? Because everybody can have a podcast, Yeah, yeah. you know, like, and I'm spitting proof of that. Like I just said, Oh, I'm gonna start a podcast. It's not like you have to have a ton of money to do it. You have to, you can do a, a lot of people can do them from their phone yeah. with a, like a microphone, they plug into it. So yeah, I can't wait to listen to it. Cause I love well done podcasts like that in the red clay is produced by this team in Atlanta. And they're just, they did another one too on another, on another murder that was of a, of a young girl that was very interesting, but I can't remember the name of that one. I think a lot of it too is like, so you just gave a shout out to Sean Ryan podcast, right? So Everybody that's listening to this is at least going to check that out. And it's kind of like when I'm watching Sean Ryan podcast, they'll ha- he'll have, you know, all these guests and inevitably some of them have podcasts. Well, then you go to that and then you go to that. I mean, you go down this gigantic rabbit hole and it's cool. Yeah. And I think that that's the secret. If you've studied podcasts, the secret to getting out there more and even in like Rogan's younger days, even though Rogan's done like 2100 episodes now, the Joe Rogan experience, he used to be on a lot of different podcasts. He still does like two, two bears in one cave, which are a couple of his comedic buddies. Uh-huh. But you asked the question, like, how, how do these guys have live studio? guests all the time like how could i afford to fly you and eric in here once a month to be live in the studio because it's so much better when you're together oh, yeah, than yeah. over zoom you know like rogan has spotify in that big contract he signed so i'm safe to assume maybe that spotify flies all those guests in like elon musk has obviously doesn't need to be flown in he can just freaking space shuttle in or whatever the hell he does right yeah but like he's got a lot of those guys are coming there because he started that comedy store called the Comedic Mothership or Comic Mothership in Austin, Texas, because mm-hmm. Rogan moved from L.A. to Austin. And then like Tom Segura left and moved to Austin with him. But I think a lot of those comics are coming in there to play the club and then they ought to, they they naturally do his podcast. But 
he just flew Dan Henderson in there. I should have asked Hendo because Hendo just came out with this book this week. Hendo, the American athlete, which is awesome. I'm giving it another shout out. Hendo just came onto this podcast the other day to promote this, but he just got back from Austin. So I should have asked him. Obviously, Hendo doesn't have to pay his own way to go be a guest or does he? Because he's getting all that promotion because there's such a huge audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe these people pay their own way because they know, like, does Matthew McConaughey pay his own way to go on there? Yeah. Does Robert Downey Jr. pay his own way? Maybe they do, to, or the movie company does to promote a movie. I don't know. Well, it's probably, I mean, he's so freaking big. It's, in my mind, be the same question as, do they pay their own way to go on the Jimmy Fallon show? I mean, same situation. True. All the guests have something to promote when they're going. Opposite of like the Sean Ryan, I'll keep going back to that. It's so freaking good. Those guys, it's not, I don't think they really, you know, some of them obviously, but I don't think a lot of them have a promotion. They're just telling a freaking story. And in the studio, man, it's like, I don't know. I, I guess any podcast is an interview, but I don't know. It's organic and natural. I'm researching where is Sean Ryan podcast studio located? Let's see if that comes up. Nashville, Tennessee. So is where Sean Ryan is. Yeah, really. That's a great hub for people to go to. That you know, Nashville is a very visited city. So maybe he's just has a great scheduler, and they hit him up while they're in town. I don't know. Like, I mean, if you're getting, I've never heard of Sarah Adams. Right. I've never heard of her, but I'm interested to know who she is and and what she does. Maybe I need to pay attention more. But but yeah, you're right. Word of mouth is everything and they're so hard to grow it doesn't happen overnight i wonder how long he's been going oh i said he's only like on episode 80 so it's got to be relatively new no he got two million followers that followers that quick i don't know how long he's been on youtube if he was doing something in video before the podcast oh there's another one that's real good look at the ones you'll 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 get into them but look at the ones about the benghazi attack with like mark geist and the guys that were, were oh i like mark geist all right. Well, anyway, I didn't mean to derail. This. No, I love I love that. That's just real talk, because I think that I think that it is true that America is getting their content in so many different ways. Like you literally just admitted why the downfall of TV is happening or you didn't admit it, but oh, yeah, you yeah. kind of added in. Yeah, true. The ratings are going down in traditional TV to where you have so many different streaming services. And then you got guys like Christian Curtis that don't even turn their TV on. They just watch YouTube. I went to a a mutual friend of all three of us. I'm not going to say his name, but I was at one of his places. He let me stay at one night and I hit the TV and YouTube TV came on Uh and the search bar was there. And I started going... I couldn't even imagine like that. Like you don't even need TV. You can go and watch hours of duck hunting, hours Mm -hmm. of tie flying or whatever you want to find on there and never even know that CBS exists. Yeah, exactly. You switched Christian. You switched completely to YouTube TV. Have you? Yeah, I have YouTube TV. And uh, the funny thing is Lindsay's dad, he doesn't even know how to turn a computer on, but he's figured out how to watch YouTube on TV. (laughs) And that's all he does. Yeah. Literally, all, other than the football game, he's watching YouTube. Ranch shows, cow shows, just whatever. But all he watches is YouTube. And he's 60-something years old. So it's yeah. it's changing, like you say. It's crazy. Well, it comes up, too. It's just like your social media platform. Well, it is. But it starts showing your other likes. It starts watching you, right? So you know what your likes and they start suggesting things. And it's they're usually spot on. Oh, yeah. They listen to us big time. On it. Eric, what was the celebration about last night? Christian and I were wondering. Celebration? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're out kind of late. Thursday night? No, Thursday I was. Night. I, <laughs> I went down to, uh, it was my day to cook. So we got out of the field helping dad combine. I was running semi. And uh, just came in the house and asked Dana, what's for supper? She said nothing. I said, I guess we're going down to the bar for a pizza then. Um, so we went down there and then ended up being, um, bunch of people i started walking in that i recognized i haven't seen them forever and i'm like what the heck's going on and then i uh found out that uh their grandpa had passed away some family member grandpa passed away and they were just doing a celebration of life down there and it was old high school friends and stuff like that and we got to sitting and talking and catching up and that's all it was a little too late though did you say combine is is harvest not completed in south dakota yet or no no i mean it's that far behind we're behind we're behind a little bit we had a couple breakdowns they had a couple breakdowns this year but i would say it's probably 80 percent out i'd say crops are about 80 percent out here right now on that but um i don't know up north towards like wabe up up north towards randy's place and our place up there 
I still think they're probably there may be still 70% or I'm not 70%, 30, 40% of crops still left up there. So they're just been getting hit with snow and rain and just slowing them down. Once you get moisture in the ground, it just keeps coming. So it's just slowing stuff down a little bit, but all of North Dakota's done as far as that. You see all the harvesters come by already. I've seen a lot of mallard ducks that have moved into South Dakota with video and people telling me there that they're, it's loaded with mallards right now. It's all that, uh, North up there, right, right around that Wall Bay area, is, is loaded up pretty, pretty heavily, and it's it's been dead with Snapchats, just friends of friends posting stuff, doing whatever Instagram stuff has been dead, and now all of a sudden the last week has just been inundated with pictures. I can tell you one thing about there's more specks around here than I've ever seen in my life. That's becoming so big down there, it's crazy. Oh, I was in Alberta last week, and there's more specks than I've ever seen, and I talked to two guys that hunt that were there pretty much their full length of allowance by the canadian government this year they both said never have seen more speckle belly geese so it must have been an unbelievable hatch well, and how long ago was that they were there last week well and, and these geese have been here for two and a half three weeks california's been loaded for the same two and a half three weeks we had that big heavy frost and that big that big freeze that was about three four weeks ago that hit here and it was like everything all the snow geese and and uh specks you can hear from all day long flying. Christian, let me ask you something in regards to specs because you live in that Arkansas, Louisiana area. You're in Arkansas a lot. You see these pictures of these spec hunts in Arkansas where these outfitters are teaming up because they find the X. Do you know where I'm going with this? Have you seen these pictures of 50 guys along 30, 40, 50 hunters? Like, is this going to ruin hunting, Christian, that they're going to educate so many flocks with? Do you pick it? Do they say, okay, the, the left five shooters are going to shoot into this flock of 10? I don't know how they do it because I've never been on one. But is what's that's not hunting, is it? I've, I've never done it either, so I can't answer. But I do know that I've talked to some people, some of these outfitters, and they don't shoot into like crazy big wads. So there, although there are a ton of them, they don't shoot into crazy big wads from the guys that I've talked to. Now, I, the only the only time I've never hunted like that either. The only time I've hunted like that was snow goose hunting, and it was like it wasn't thirty; it was fifteen or sixteen people, and it was wild ride. Yeah, but that's probably in the spring, and you don't have a limit, and you're trying to kill yeah. as many as you can with no plugs in your right. gun, right? Right, right, right? It's just kind of different when it's a two bird limit. You would feel like you would want. I guess people just want to kill, but I mean, I'd want to know what I shoot, or I'd want to know. You know, kind of being intimate with them, but that kind of just seems like a firing line to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't know. I guess it's who knows. Like you said, two bird limit. I guess it's a lot of work to kill four guys. Going to kill eight geese. One one bunch comes in, you're done. So I don't know. Yeah, it'd get hard to get fired up to go do that. I, you hear the stories back here when honkers were only a one bird limit or two bird limits, and people going out and going, man, it's a lot of work to go after two buddies to go set up to go. I mean, you can look at it like this. I mean, this is, I guess, could be controversial, but what's the difference between that and six guys going to Canada and shooting 48 ducks? You're talking about what's the difference between six guys in Canada or 30 guys in Arkansas? Yeah, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's the same situation. Six guys in Canada with an eight duck limit is 48 ducks. You're right. There's no biological proof that it hurts the population. There's no biological proof that that many hunters in the field at one time hurts the population. I just think the intimacy of six guys putting out a spread, concealing the blinds, picking up, you know, doing all the things that you do in a hunt. Six is about the max, I think, that you need in the field in Canada. Yeah, agree. I mean, that's a different – I think that's that's a different question than messing up the hunting. I mean, again, it clearly – Whatever they're doing hasn't hurt the specs because we both just said there's more specs than anybody's ever seen from Alberta to Louisiana right now. So I, I don't know. I mean, if you had it your way, Christian, you got this is a two sided question. Like, let's think about where Eric lives and what I just said about the mallard ducks and then where you live and your traditional way of hunting ducks since you were a kid. I've hunted ducks with you a lot in Missouri, Arkansas, other places. I don't think I've ever hunted them over dry land with you. So obviously, you know where I'm going with this. You work in the business to where you want as many duck hunters out there as possible, but you also are a traditional waterfowler. What is your opinion of this influx of dry field hunting? Mojo's going, ducks bombing in by the hundreds, Canada, pea fields, North Dakota, corn fields, 
all over everywhere now minnesota iowa it's being done south dakota you name it oklahoma pea fields i mean peanut fields pea fields in canada peanuts in oklahoma what is your opinion does it hurt duck hunting or do you have to say hey as long as it's ethical and legal i'm good with it because i want to sell as much banded gear as possible well, i think just not necessarily want to sell as much as possible obviously i do but i just think as long as it's ethical and legal i'm not a biologist they say it doesn't hurt it times change i mean i went to canada so you know uh, I think I, I went to Canada before most people did. You know, when I went, first time I went, I didn't know hardly anybody that had gone. And now everybody goes. So, I mean, I can't talk bad, but I don't think it hurts the hunting. I don't think – I think times change. They, we don't – we didn't hunt when I was a kid like like my grandpa hunted. My grandkids aren't going to hunt like I hunt, hunted. You know what I mean? Just stuff changes. I mean – So, do you think – because you live in the state of Louisiana, which has probably been in the top five complaining states in the country the last five or six years, but for the lack of puddle ducks getting to Louisiana, one of the main reasons they say is the flooded corn up north. Well, you could accumulate or you could associate flooded corn along the same lines as dry field hunting. Are you educating the ducks more because you're shooting into such big wads in a dry field situation? Are your ducks down there really too educated to hunt? Are they really not getting there anymore because they're being held up by all the corn growth? Like it's all the same argument a little bit, but does dry field hunting educate the ducks enough to where they're way, way harder to kill now because of this influx in dry field hunting by the time they get to you? I think there are so many variables. I mean, you can't yeah. you can't put it on one thing. Let me ask you the question. If you shoot into a bunch of ducks, is that educating them? Is that the end of your question? Yeah. I'm gonna say well, the ones that don't the ones that don't the one every time a mallard duck encounters a spread and get shot at, is he learning something? Well, I'm gonna answer your question like this. That's a really good question because I've always thought that animals have really, really short-term memories and they forget really fast. Mm -hmm. But I would scientifically have to guess with my hypothesis that, yes, it is educating them every time they look at a fake decoy spread and get shot at or get called at or whatever. So the answer to your initial question is yes, they're getting educated more, 100%. There's no way to deny that. I don't have any more of a right to duck hunt where I'm at than – Eric does in South Dakota. I mean, so no, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Do I think that they get educated more now than they did in 1980? Yeah, of course they did. Eric, what do you think along what Christian just said? Oh, wait, go ahead. It's Christian. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. It's not just hunting in Canada. It's not just hunting in the Dakotas. There's a lot of people in the flooded corn, whatever. A lot of people managing for waterfowl now and they do flood fish and stuff up north but why should they be able to do you know not be able to do that is there a difference when it comes to hold on eric yep. i got this for you but i gotta ask christian this along the same lines of what he just ended his with is there a difference christian when it comes to ethical farming practices which is what a lot of this is based on with flooding corn leaving standing corn etc cetera, etc cetera. what is the difference between hunting flooded corn and flooded rice in Arkansas or Louisiana because you don't burn the fields like you used to because of the EPA and the Environmental Protection Act and all that. So you flood the fields, giving the farmers more opportunity for income on their fields by leasing the fields. You flood the fields to kill off the last year's growth and then you dry them out and then you reseed. And Eric knows that better than anybody in farming. But in California, you can't burn fields, so they flood them, they hunt them, they kill ducks over them. It's a whole reciprocal sustainability process. But what's the difference in hunting flooded corn and flooded rice when the ducks get down that far? Because nobody ever really had a problem with hunting flooded rice in Arkansas when I started hunting with you in 2001, 2002. But everybody has a problem with hunting flooded corn. Well, they're not hunt- they're hunting a-, a flooded harvested rice field. Oh, so there's no rice left in there to eat? Well, I mean, yeah, there's rice, but it's not. I mean, it's, it'd be the same as hunting a uh, harvested flooded cornfield. There's some corn in there, but it's not ears and ears and ears of it. It would be. So there is a difference. Well, I mean, I mean, logically. Right. The comparable question would be what's the difference between hunting an unharvested flooded rice field and an unharvested flooded cornfield? No difference. Yeah. I didn't even think about the harvest part of it. I guess the question is when you see standing corn sticking up out of flooded corn with those ears of corn 
which you are not allowed to manipulate and knock those ears of corn off. Naturally, they fall off. You'll see ducks on ice, like eating it, you know, standing on ice, getting up out of the water. They used to be land and pull it over. Yeah. I'm not down in the practice. I mean, believe me, I would do it. But bring it into, bring it, I bring it into common sense. Like, how many acres of flooded corn through the, call it the area that is new, the new area, the, the northern area that people started doing this in the last 10 years or whatever, heavily? How many thousands of acres or what is it? One percent of the landscape, maybe, Eric. Oh, shit! I bet it's I bet it's way less than that. One percent. Think of one percent of the land. That's a lot of land. You know, between if you talk all of Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, you take that and go one percent. I mean, those ducks are still the majority are still dry field feeding and not not going to those areas. I mean, are they holding some ducks? Yeah, but I don't think in the big scheme of things. I think, like Christian said earlier, there's so many different practices that have changed and winters from the. Lack, lack of snow and stuff pushing birds down further and further to harsher winters. I think last winter was a little bit different. And farming practices in general, stuff has changed so much over the years that I don't know, there's just too many variables to say that it's flooded corn. That's just my opinion. Oh, I'm not saying it's all flooded corn, but I'm saying that has changed. And, and the question is 100%. I mean, sure, maybe it is 1% of the landscape, but how many mallards can you fit on a flooded 20 acre cornfield? 100,000? A lot. Well, I mean, it doesn't take too many 20-acre cornfields. But, again, I would do it. They don't. I, we don't have any more right here than anybody else does. If I was successful enough and own land up in those areas that you could flood, why would you not? Mm-hmm. That's just like saying, if I have a, why would I put a deer food plot in when I could put a deer food plot? I'm, I could, yeah, I would. I mean, what, ha- what happened to – and you probably – I don't know the answer – what happened to Canada geese in Southern Illinois? Uh, from my discussions, and again, I am not a biologist, but one of our great dealers, Kelly Powers, educated me on a, on a potential theory of maybe all of the electrical houses and the heating ponds along the Mississippi Flyway of Illinois and Chicago yeah. in that area because of the growth of the industrial expansion in the last three decades up there. They, they just don't leave up there because – they have open water all the time and they're very hardy birds and wary birds to where as long as they can get to some food on the ground, they're not leaving. That's just a, a theory that Kelly, and that's kind of paraphrased. You'd have to listen to the podcast with him, but he says it might have a lot to do with all of the electrical, you know, the heating, heating ponds for all of the powerhouses. I, I, I guarantee you that that's right. Yeah. I guarantee you it is because I'll never forget this. As long as I live, I still talk about it with my friends. The year 2000 was in Sykeston, and it was it was before Christmas. It was first part of December, and some crazy storm came, man. And there was snow, and I mean deep snow, and it was cold. First part of December, all the way down to Sykeston. I mean, it was snow from Canada to Sykeston, literally. And there was snow in Sykeston, four, five, six inches. But, I mean, they had to move. And when they moved, Sykeston looked like, you know when you're driving through Winnipeg? That's what Sykeston looked like. They, every goose there was roosting on the power plant ponds. It was the craziest thing you've ever seen. So point being, yeah, I guarantee that's what's happening. They didn't just land by a gigantic smokestack first time they've ever done that. I mean, that's 20 years. No. And then the other part of it was how many geese like never leave Wichita because of the subdivision fountain ponds, you know, that are always open. Yeah. They're always open, and it's like, why aren't these geese getting south of Wichita? Some of them do, but you go to Wichita, Kansas, which gets really cold in January, and it's absolutely chock full of Canada geese. So where are the geese that used to go to Johnson City Crab Orchard, which was like the Canada goose capital where Tim Grounds made his name and Alan McCree and Gary McCree? Like, where are they? Are they west or are they all north still? Sykeston is west of there. Yeah, but uh, where are those geese? Yeah, it's not that far. But where where did those geese go? Because are they in Rochester? Does Chicago and Peoria have an unbelievable can of goose season? I don't know. Where are they? But the point of that whole exchange was stuff changes. I mean, it changes for whatever reason, whatever happened. It changes, and it's not going to be the same. Okay, so let me ask you this along those lines, Christian. Before you get off of the word change, spinning wings like Mojo's. 
and battery-operated decoys are illegal in the public woods of Arkansas. Uh-huh. You can use them on private woods in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Should they be outlawed then because they're because people are using them in Saskatchewan and killing ducks like they're going out of style in dry fields and North Dakota and dry fields and South Dakota and dry. You're not going to kill nearly amount of ducks, mallard ducks specifically without a mojo in a dry field. Is that fair to say? I would assume. Yeah. So people have a huge issue with mojos, but things change. Things change in the way that I mean, OK, are we going to go back to shooting them with an arrow and a slingshot? Yeah. And we're not going to use tungsten TSS super still. Agree. Like everything improves all. Are we going to go back to wearing waders that get soaking wet every time you go out and don't keep you warm and you can only stay in the field for five minutes and you don't get to hunt all day? Technology has changed in every aspect of the hunt. So what you're saying is not just in the birds, but it's changed in the hunters, too, in their ability to chase game. Yeah. I mean, yep. big deer being killed by Lee and Tiffany daily, and they have a name for every single one of them that they have watched grow up on these cameras and these food plots like Eric just alluded to. Is there an issue with whitetail hunting now that the biggest deer ever are being killed consistently? I mean, where you live now in Louisiana and Arkansas, huge deer being killed down there. I don't mean to change the subject, but is there an issue with mojos in your opinion, Christian, being a southern duck hunter? No, <clears throat> I mean absent mojos the success in dry field hunting wouldn't be what it is but you know wait eric did you just disagree or did you say not uh, for sure no i i I agree 100 the success rate in dry field hunting without a mojo would i i don't know what the percentage would be but it would be significant comparably to water hunting water hunting it's you know the dry field is lost you know i i don't know um they don't bother me again if they want to outlaw them, outlaw them for the whole thing or don't, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I feel like everybody just – I mean, I live where I live. I, if, I, if, if I wanted to, I could move to where Eric lives. You know what I mean? It's, nobody's making me live here. Stuff changes. Either go with it or, or do – we shoot plenty of ducks here. Not as many mallards. Not as many mallards in Louisiana? Huh. Wait, or where when you say here, are you referring solely to Louisiana but not Arkansas? No, no, Louisiana. Is Arkansas still an unbelievable mallard duck hunting state, Christian Curtis? Oh, yeah. They're so imprinted still, and who knows if that'll change, but they're still so imprinted. I mean, there's still ducks that go there. It doesn't matter what the weather is. They don't have to get a push. They're going to be at at the historical places. They're just so imprinted on it. Let the White River get out or the cache. They're there. Imprinted, let it get out, fresh water, new water, I should say. What about this non-resident public land hunting laws in Arkansas, Christian? When you're in the business and you want people to enjoy this culture, is it crazy that there's days that they cannot hunt in the public woods and that it's secured for just residents of that state? No, I don't think so, because every state has that. In a certain area, you got to draw. You can't even go up there hunting unless you draw a tag. Yeah, South Dakota is really hard to be a non-resident come hunt consistently. There's a, you know, I can't just go elk hunting in New Mexico if I want to. No, I was just going to say like in Nevada, it's almost impossible for a resident to draw a mule deer, antelope, bighorn sheep or a Rocky Mountain elk tag. I mean, it takes a lot of luck and a lot of years of preferential points to do it. But in waterfowling, which we're not a destination, but you could come here and hunt every day of the year if you want, as long as you stay within your possession limit. But like Kansas just came out last year and said that they were trying to outlaw non-residents, I believe, hunting public property in Kansas on the weekends. I think that was it. I don't know if that's true, but it was something like that. If you guys saw it in Missouri on public ground, you have to draw every day. Now, they don't distinguish between resident or non-resident, but everybody has to draw. I mean, it's just everybody trying to protect the resource the best they can. Arkansas is different because it's public areas are so vast. You know what I mean? They're huge. So... I think everybody's just trying to protect the resources and prevent overcrowding the best way they can. Okay, so let me ask you this, though, Christian. Eric, too, because Eric mentioned the one bird limit back in the day where he lives. Well, Easton, Maryland was known as the Canada Goose Capital Destination World Championship Goose in Easton, the Harvard de Grace. You know what I'm going with this, right? I'm not going to travel to Maryland to kill one Canada Goose. Now, New York went back to three this year, but... Sean Mann and Josh Neuweiler and all these guys that are hunting up there. I'm not going to do it. These areas of the country dedicated their tourism dollar and their tourism messaging as the quote unquote duck capital 
of the world. Come to Stuttgart. Greg Norman, private jet flies in. He's in Max. Morgan Wallen's here. Hardy. I mean, I'll just keep going. Like celebrity after celebrity, after newscast, after Claypool's picture, after everything. World Duck Calling Championships, Duck Gumbo, Wings Over the Prairie, Max Prairie Wings, Marion McCollin, Rest in Peace. Everything that goes into that area, they asked for it. And now all of a sudden you're saying, don't come here anymore because it's a, it's not the right day of the week. They asked for it. They literally put every bit of their attention on making that the destination of duck hunters. And now they're saying, nope, don't come here anymore. But what the heck? What gives? Well, I, I got to pick days to go to Arkansas. What if I can only go on these days and I want to visit Max, get an autograph and a picture from Chuck Locke and buy some waders from Bandit and then go hunt at Russell McCollum's Wildlife Acres? I can't do it because I'm a non-resident. Well, that's a bad example because it's not public, but I can't go to Rainy Bake break on a certain day or Big Lake because I'm a non-resident. But you asked me to come here for years, just like Easton, Maryland did. But now I can't even go there because I can only kill one goose. They asked for this. I'm not trying to get on a high horse. I'm just saying I can't hunt public woods in Arkansas on certain days. But you guys asked, not you, Christian, personally, but they asked us to come there. Yeah. 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 I mean, but it, like I said, that's not the only state that does that. In duck hunting, it is. No, it's not. South Dakota. Yeah, we're very limited on pheasant hunting. And that and that kind of hurt the pheasant population. But that, that was built on pheasant hunting, I think. What was? South Dakota. I wouldn't say it was built on waterfowl hunting. I'd say their tourism... 100%, 100% the pheasant deal is, that's wide open. Anybody can come anytime they want to. Now we have a, a week ahead of time that the residents get to hunt or whatever. And then your outfitters can go into the later seasons and stuff like that if you are if you have a game place or whatever. But South Dakota probably nests a third of the population of ducks, you know, maybe more. I don't know what the, the numbers are, but when you get to the pothole region from Mitchell all the way up north and all it's going through all North Dakota and all the way into Canada, well, there's a lot of ducks there, but you have to draw. I mean, it's some of the best duck hunt in the world in South Dakota, literally, but you can't just, you can't just go there and hunt. Should they do that in Arkansas, Christian? Because Eric brings up a great point and you already said it. Should they have a tag system? I think they give out I might be wrong on this, Eric. You're a resident. I think I heard like 3,500 non-resident hunters. Is That's all that can come to South Dakota in a year. Christian, how many would you guess fly into Arkansas to hunt the flooded timber or rice on any given season? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't. I wouldn't even begin to speculate. Is it six digits, you think? I would think probably, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, that kind of sums up the argument right there that – Eric, I think it's like 3,500 for non-resident. I don't know if that's what you're researching. I'm going to see if I can look it up, but it's broke up into different regions too on, on it. So some are only maybe 400 here in this place. This area unit might be 1,500 or whatever it is. But yeah, it's you can't count on going there every single year as a non-resident. It might be every other year. It might be every two years. You know what I mean? But it's you can't count on it every year to go there. Like, But pheasant hunting, you can come anytime, you know, and as much as you want. Is that next for Arkansas, Christian, if you had to guess with the way things are going to try to limit the access of non-residents? Oh, I don't I don't think so. I mean, I again, I you know, they got some badass biologists and, and they get some badass input. I, I just think that they're doing what they can to protect the resource. And I you 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 can ask anybody, would you rather have to draw and maybe not be able to go, or would you rather get to go for thirty days? I'm sure everybody would say they'd rather get to go for thirty days. I mean, it's just like anything. You know, it's it's like the old argument you've heard before. You lease this new spot or you buy this new ground and you have – and these people don't want to quit hunting because they've hunted there all their life. Well, sorry. That doesn't change the argument that you no longer own it or have permission to hunt it for one reason or another. I mean, it all goes back to the same thing. Stuff changes. And I honestly believe the people in the state of Arkansas are just doing what they can do to protect the resource – if limiting access is is part of it, then so be it. I can't argue that. I'm not mad at it. I'm just saying that what's next? Do you think most people in Arkansas would want no non-residents to come? Is that an easy question to answer? Like, heck yeah, they want to keep it for themselves. But then you got more waterfowl Arkansas. You got more guides in Arkansas than probably any other state. Yeah, I think if you just asked, uh, it'd be like anything. You just asked the duck hunter. It depends on who you ask. You ask the guy that duck hunts and works 40 hours a week and duck hunts on the weekends, I'm sure he would say, yeah, I would outlaw all residents, all non-residents. But you ask anybody else in the state that has any 
benefits off any of the revenue from the incoming hunters, I'm sure they would sing a different thing. And I'm sure there's people in Arkansas that don't want to limit the out-of-staters to 60 days. Okay, here's another question. There's a big problem in the America and politics right now with China buying farmland, Eric. Is it okay mm-hmm. for me to go into Arkansas or South Dakota and start an outfitter program, an outfitting company, and just start- I'm getting coffee. Wait, I'll Christian, don't back. leave yet. You got to hear this last part of this question, please. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, I'm listening. I hear you. Is it okay for me being an American to go do it? And I'm going, and where I'm going is that there's a lot of Americans that jump north of the border, Eric, and go into Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, mm-hmm. Ontario, and become a guide. Manitoba this year said that you can only come for a certain amount of days if you're from America or any other country. Six days, I think it was. Six. Mm-hmm. Because they're setting up these super camps and they're guiding and they're telling their friends at a bar in Canton, South Dakota, hey, I'm going to be up in, in, in Saskatchewan. I got all this permission. Come up there. You just pay me this much. Bring a group of six. And now that money's not staying in Canada and they're, it's coming back to the States. It's becoming an issue. It's becoming a problem that Americans are just going up there and starting outfitting companies because Canadians want that business. What is your opinion on that? Should I be able to do that in Canada? Should I be able to do that in, in South Dakota? Should I be able to be from Oklahoma or Texas and I make a ton of money in the oil industry and now I say, I'm just going to go to Arkansas and open up an outfitter and put more pressure on the birds over there just because I can. Should there be a law against non-residents of these states going there to open outfitting business? I know I can go there and open a 7-Eleven or become a resident there and, be, and get a construction job, but when it comes to the natural resources, should I be able to go to these states I was not born and raised in or this country of Canada and start a business hunting and fishing and guiding people? I mean, it's, that's a great question on that. I, I want to stay neutral on the best I can because at the end of the day, I'm not a scientist behind it. And, and the scientists and your GFMP and whatnot, they have to be on top of that and be able to decide what is right and what's best for the ducks. Now, a lot of states, I don't know if a lot of states, but I believe just trying to think. I think North Dakota, you have to go to a guiding license. You have to go. You have to go to class and do anything else that you can't just. As a South Dakota, I can't. A South Dakota resident, I can't go to North Dakota and guide. It's against the law. I believe. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that is. But South Dakota, you could be from Minnesota, come here and guide all you want because I know people that do. There is no thing. Do I agree with it? No, not really. But at the end of the day, I'm not. Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge that? But Canada, you know, obviously. Obviously, there's demand for it, and whether the people in Canada are not stepping up to that, and other people are taking opportunities because they're opportunists. That I mean, that's why these, those guys are going up there. We know a few different outfitters that start in Canada, outfitting their people, and they end in Arkansas. I mean, they go, they hit three states on the way down, and they have businesses. That's their business. That's their livelihood. Right, wrong, and different. The, well, the question is, where does it stop? I, I don't. I mean, that's the, the each state has to decide that on their own. And, and oh, I'm saying, I'm saying, where does it stop? So if you can't open a guiding business in another state, can you not open a car dealership? Can you not open a restaurant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're just, yeah. Yeah. How do you live? That's what I said. I can go there and probably take a construction job from a resident. No problem. If I, if I put in a resume and get hired an application, or I could go there and and start a, a franchise and have a, have a subway there probably if I wanted to, I don't know how that's probably a bad example because franchising rules are different, but that's a great question. But, my point, Christian Curtis, now that you got your coffee and I hope that your brain's working because this is going to be a tough question for you. I love going to Canada, but I drive up there and I like to stay for 10 days because it's a long ass drive. What about now, Christian? You you love to hunt Manitoba. You can only stay for six days as an American when you drive up there and you got farming friends and family friends and da 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 because these other Americans have gone up there and quote unquote abused the opportunity to start businesses and bring a bunch of people up there into the Canadian country and use the natural resource to kill a bunch of ducks and geese and then bring the money back to the States. Now, Americans like you and I that didn't do that only get to stay for six days. Is that an issue with you? Only gets to stay for six days or only gets to hunt for six days? Hunt. Now, I'm not saying that that's not long enough to hunt, but what if you want to go up there for four days with this group and then in a week you want to go back up there with another group of dealers? It happens. It might not personally happen with you, but is that an issue now that you can only hunt Manitoba six days? Well, here's the, the, (laughs) you don't want to get political, but Canada's a pretty liberal country, huh? Yeah. Well, there's your answer. 
But that money that American tourism brings up to these small communities, these farming communities, these these small businesses is huge. It's the number one source of, of tourism in Canada is hunting and fishing by non-residents. And but I'm not talking about Montreal. Right? I'm, ta- I'm talking about Well, the whole country Canada. as a whole is liberal. Yeah. Well, the whole country as a whole is pretty liberal, right? No, I don't know. I think that it's just like America. I, I think that you get to the big I cities, don't. it's liberal. Oh, yeah. 100%. And that's that's where we're at. It is, and we have currently a liberal administration, just like they do. So they're not going to make laws or legislation that promotes hunting in any way. That's the last thing they care about. But what I think, though, I'm not I'm not arguing. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I don't think it's Trudeau making that rule that Americans only get to hunt six days. I think it's the outfitters associations that are getting together and saying, wait a minute, this is our land. This is how we make a living in Canada. We don't just pop up go south of the border and pop up and start guiding down there. So you're not going to do it up here. So now you can only hunt six days up here as an American. See you later. Two things. Number one, back in the day, I haven't been up there in years, but back in the day, you couldn't guide if you were an American. You couldn't own a business up there. So I don't know. Really? Really? You would know that because you went before you went, you went in like what? I'm going to say 99, 98, because I went in 2001 for the first time. Yeah, I went. It was 98, 99, something like that. Yeah. You couldn't own and you could not, if the job was available, you had to put it out for hire, which you still do in Saskatchewan, to a Saskatchewan resident. And if they fit the qualifications, you have to hire them. If you can't find anybody that's a good goose caller, a good blind concealer, a great scouter, then you could hire an American and they have to get a work visa. Yeah, yeah. That's the process. So the, the second part of the answer is, unfortunately, Canada's a different country and we don't have rights there. And I don't want them to have, you know, that's kind of a whole deal we're going through. I don't want them to have, you know, they don't have the same rights we do here. So, I mean, we can not like it and be pissed about it, but. You can't be pissed about it. And if you look at the big picture of it, I would say most Americans, and it's where Eric lives and where you live, Christian, I think most people book a how many day trip. Would you say three max? To Canada? No, in a, anywhere. Like even a Canadian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, duck hunt. Yeah, three day trip, three day problem. All Canadian hunt packages are four days max. I believe there might be a six day package out there somewhere. Probably is now. See, I'm looking at it more from a selfish way of like I like going up there for an extended period of time. Yeah, and doing what we do, but so you can't even. It's federal. You can't hunt six days Saskatchewan, six Manitoba, six. Uh uh-uh. uh no 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 just Manitoba so far. So, so you can you can go Saskatchewan style all season. No, I think it's thirty days max as an American, and Alberta is the same. So I'm sure that Manitoba is more liberal. I mean, that's just what it boils down to. I guarantee it is. If you look at the, but a lot of these super groups are popping up, or super camps are popping up. And what is a super camp? I don't even know what that is. Where you're not really an established outfitter with a lodge. You just go up there and rent an Airbnb and bring all your American buddies up there because you, you're going up there and you're going to do all the work of getting permission and locating the birds and scouting. And then they come up and they don't use a Canadian outfitter. They're using an American that just has an Airbnb up there. So it's all under the table. A hundred percent. All the money comes back here. That's illegal, right? By the law. I don't know. Do you not have to have a business license in Canada? I don't know. I would guess you have to pay Canadian taxes and all that stuff if you ever you have new. Yeah. So it sounds like to me that we've screwed this up ourselves. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know the laws, but I would doubt that you can go. I, I don't know this. I'm just hypothetically speaking. I doubt that you can go to a foreign country, have a business on the DL, not pay taxes, make a bunch of money, and take it out of the country. I bet you can't do that here. Well, I know we could get into political and south of the border of exactly that's what goes on for the history of of our relationship with that country. Um, But I don't get into that right now on this podcast. But it is a good question of like, they don't want us up there taking their jobs and, and using their natural resource and not keeping the money there to make it better. But at the same part, on the other end of the argument, before we move on to banded is that's a lot of income for those farmers. And if an American's going to say, well, I'm not coming anymore because I can't stay over six days, that's taking a lot of money out of that potential economy and hotels and fuel and groceries and cafes and restaurants and on down the line. Just like 51% of the outfitters didn't renew their outfitting license in Alberta and Saskatchewan because of COVID. 
Yep. They didn't have any clients. They couldn't stay open. The ones that didn't have major backing or farming operations went out of business because Americans weren't going north of the border. They didn't get the shot or Trudeau wasn't allowing them in for the first full year of COVID. And a lot of them weren't able to stay afloat. So they depend on our money. So you know what I would say? They need to go to the voting booth because it. you, you don't want to get political, but it is. But if it's political, what if it's the Outfitters Association? Those guys can't. Be. It's still political. It's still political. But they can't be liberal. They got to be. They got to want the gun rights. Uh, no, I'm not saying they're they're being liberal, but it's still political. It's a political decision. I mean, I don't know why it is, but that's how it's made legislatively. So if, if that's not what they want, then they need to pull the right lever. Okay. Well, we I don't want to get into Trudeau because that's a, about a 10-day conversation. But Eric in South Dakota, what is the percentage? And I don't know if you don't you're not going to know this, but based on what you see, residents and non-residents that you see around the area, waterfowl-wise, what is the ratio of dry land hunting versus water hunting? Because I've always heard that the puddle hunting, the marsh hunting, the pothole hunting is awesome in those areas and it is but what do you think Mm -hmm. do most residents hunt water do most non-residents hunt dry field what do you think is there a way for you to break that down do you have any idea about the percentages of dry land versus water hunting in south dakota it would all be a guess on that i mean just a simple i mean yet do we have thousands of potholes and lakes stuff like that but the obviously the land's a lot more vast and the majority that you see you know we don't see a lot of call it boats coming here and it could be some of the best duck hunting boat areas in the world all the way through here all the way to north dakota but you don't see a lot of that you you see some but not not crazy amounts of it so there are guys that are going on the field and have access to it and they are pothole hunting but i would say the majority still i would think it has to be dry field hunting but i don't don't know for sure this is the bandit hour eric larsgar christian curtis we're going in to the avery outdoors hot seat we're going to break here for a few commercials thank you all so much for being here don't go anywhere, because after the break... This is the Bandit Hour, Eric Larsgaard, Christian Curtis. We're going in to the Avery Outdoors hot seat. Eric Larsgaard and Christian Curtis will face off to answer the toughest question of all. Would you hunt out of a front zippered waiter? I think that's the biggest benefit. I think everybody sees them and thinks, man, I won't have to take my waiters off the pee. Well, maybe giving up a lot of info here, but I still have to. Bandit Brands presents the Bandit Hour has partnered with incredible brands like Traeger, Benelli, Flaskap, and Jargon Game Calls, Chad Belding, Eric Larsgaard and Christian Curtis will be right back. Thanks for listening. Man, the new Black Label Elite boots by Banded. I'm telling you, these camp shoes, these knee boots, uninsulated, insulated. I wore them on my first two trips of the 2023-24 season after wearing prototypes all last year. And they are the best boot made, most comfortable, most foot protectant, most easy to walk in, warmest, most breathable, baddest ass hunting boots, camp shoes on the market. I guarantee it. Challenge me on that. Get yourself a pair right now at Banded.com or any Banded off authorized dealer across the country and you will feel like you're walking on the moon i was in cornfields wheat fields alfalfa fields pea fields i've worn these boots everywhere and it is amazing how comfortable they are how dry they keep your feet how protected they keep your feet and when you take them off and you put them out to dry it's unbelievable how fast they dry how fast they air out and ready for your next hunting excursion i'm telling you these boots are different they fit different they feel different they perform different it's another innovation by the family at banded it is absolutely a pleasure to have them as the official footwear of the foul life podcast their waders are amazing their accessories are amazing everything banded avery greenhead gear avery sporting dog stands for is exactly what the tradition and culture of the american hunter has been built on it's a band of brothers we are so proud of it and these new black label elite knee boots and the camp shoes will absolutely blow your mind and make this a better season than it would have been without them i promise you that get them right now at banded.com or an authorized banded dealer thank you all so much for the support of banded brands throughout the years and trust me we are just getting started looking for a high quality truck accessory that's built to last look no further than lear with over 50 years of experience in the industry these guys know what it takes to make your ride look and performance best whether you're looking for a fiberglass or aluminum cap a harder soft cover or accessories to customize your truck lear's got you covered 
Their products are made with only the best materials, and their innovative features provide added convenience and security for truck owners. Head over to Lear.com to explore their range of products and take your driving experience to the next level. When it comes to setting up the perfect spread, there's one crucial element, motion. Ducks have sharp eyes, and static decoys won't fool them for long. That's where motion decoys step in, bringing your spread to life and creating an irresistible scene. So why are motion decoys so important? Ducks are social creatures, and they seek cues that signal safety for landing. By adding motion to your spread, you're telling passing flocks that it's all clear and inviting them to join the party. Mojo's spinning wing decoys emulate the flash of duck wings from afar to draw them in and finish them like magic. Mojo's decoys are specifically designed to catch ducks' attention, and Mojo's motion decoys shine on those calm or low wind days when natural water movement is lacking. So if you're serious about bringing ducks to your blind, embrace the power of motion decoys with Mojo and head for MojoOutdoors.com today. It's the conclusion of Bandit Brands Presents The Bandit Hour with Chad Belding, Eric Larsgaard, and Christian Curtis. And the boys have found themselves in a conundrum. What is the difference between hunting flooded corn and flooded rice in Arkansas or Louisiana? Sure, maybe it is 1% of the landscape, but how many mallards can you fit on a flooded 20-acre cornfield? If I was successful enough in old land up in those areas that you flood, why would you not? Mm-hmm. Why would I put a deer food plot in when I put a deer food plot? Yeah, I would. Welcome back to the industrial age of metal and the armed adventurer. We are the Bandit Hour, and we're brought to you in part by Avery Outdoors, Greenhead Gear Decoys, Mojo Outdoors, Sig Sauer, and Lear. Now, back to Chad Belding, Eric Larsgaard, and Christian Curtis. This is the Bandit Hour, Eric Larsgaard, Christian Curtis. We're going in to the Avery Outdoors hot seat. This is a hot seat question on question. They have no idea what I'm getting ready to ask them. They get to answer this in one sentence. No elaboration on any answers eric larsgaard or christian curtis eric larsgaard can you kill canada geese consistently over a silhouette spread only no christian curtis what is the product on the shelves at retailers going into the fall and winter of 2023-24 waterfowl season that you're most excited about by banded and avery outdoors two products boots and motion decoys eric larsgaard when it comes to the lifestyle of a South Dakota waterfowl hunter, is it something that you think an individual like Christian Curtis could endure and live out for the entire season in South Dakota? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the wrong, wrong guy. Oh, it was rare. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, if you can keep the temperature right and dry field hunting, the ease of it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Everything's different with people that I would put up. Man, we we have a lot of a lot of southern hunters come up here. A lot of I couldn't do it because of the temperature. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, Christian Curtis. <laughs> With the explosion of social media and media around the relationship of Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs tied in and one, Taylor Swift, if you had a chance to see Taylor Swift in Baton Rouge or LSU Stadium um, in the next month, would you buy a ticket to do so? No, I couldn't afford it. Would you if you could afford it? No. Eric, Eric, will you be attending Wings Over the Prairie Festival the weekend after Thanksgiving in Stuttgart, Arkansas? No, I will not be. Which I was, but I will not be down there this year. Christian Curtis, a couple years after COVID is ended, what can we expect at Wings Over the Prairie this year? Will it be a huge turnout, in your opinion, in 2023? Yes, I think it's going to. It's getting back rolling now. Um, Post COVID, it's it's uh, everybody's back. I think it's back to normal. I think it'll be a big turnout. Eric, what same question I previously a couple ago to Christian Curtis? What product from Bandit and Avery, not Greenhead Gear, are you most excited about for 2023 24 that's on the retailer shelves? A handful of them. I still like our boots right now on that deal. The motion decoys are good, and man, there's too many other little pieces. There's too many other new little ensembles. We have, we have all, a handful of new little gadgets and gizmos that are just awesome. I'll try, I'll try the next one. We'll do We'll bring some. We'll show them. Okay, I'm going. Yeah, we're going to bring products actually on here to show you on YouTube. I'm going to come back to what Eric and Christian said was their favorite product of, of what they're most excited about. Christian, you've hunted waterfowl for a long time. And as I alluded to earlier in our conversation today on the Bandit Hour podcast, you've mainly hunted waterfowl over water. You're a wader hunter. Should a man or a woman hunt waterfowl in what Bandit now offers in a front chest zipper style waiter. Is this okay to buy, purchase, and wear now? Have they been tested enough? Because this is something that we should have had 20 years ago. But would you hunt out of a front zippered waiter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. 
the zippers are 100 percent zippers aren't going to fail okay i asked for short answers i wish i would have left that one for an elaborate answer (laughs) (laughs) no hey here's the deal yes yes uh they're easier to get on Uh, that's basically it to me they're easier to get on i i hunted out last year they're fine they're they're great i still wear after i hunted out last year i just went back to the old the regular ones i still have to pull them down to pee so doesn't matter i mean but they are easier to get on i think that's the biggest benefit i think everybody sees them thinks man i won't have to take my waiters off to pee well maybe giving up a lot of info here but i still have to Cold it out, right? Yeah, it depends on how cold it. No, I still have to, even if it's 80 degrees. So, all right, then. <laughs> Layering's not your friend. I said I would come back to what their favorite product or what they're most excited about Christian Curtis and Eric Larsgaard, product designers, VP of product designs, VPs of product design for Banded Avery Greenhead Gear. These boots and these camp shoes. And I, Eric, what did I say from the parking lot of the Basswood Lodge in New York when I was talking to you last month? Do you remember how unbelievably excited I was about my experience with these boots? Now, I did test them all season last year, but didn't say anything publicly. But these are like walking on the moon. Yeah, you said the most comfortable, the, the, the gentleman that you were with, and, and I can't remember the name, and, and yourself, most comfortable boots they've ever worn. And I've heard that from, I've, I've heard it from guys that are not like distractible sunshine. They're just, you know, they're like, wow, these things are unbelievably comfortable. And they are. And warm. That's, and warm, yeah. You put Primo Lock in anything, and they're, that's a deal right there. Christian, how, how much of a risk is it to go into the footwear business? Is it as big as the waiter business risk-wise? Or is it pretty easy because so many people have done it and there's not nearly as many waiter companies as there are footwear companies in the world all around? Is it a big risk to go into the footwear? No, I don't I don't think anything's as big of a risk as waiters. Will we see an expansion of the banded footwear line? Yeah, I think we'll keep it's doing really well. I think it'll keep growing. Eric, do you echo those condolences? I know we will. I know we will because I'm working on it for 2025. There you go. There you go. There's your answer. I I just I got back from the boot factory. You got some new and exciting stuff to come in. It'll be coming at you in 2025. We'll have one new shoe for this next year, but uh, 2025 we're gonna have we're gonna have some stuff. What do the kids say? We got a fresh drop. Fresh drop. Fresh Christian, drop. you look really good this morning. Eric, you look really good this morning on camera. Both of you sound good on the microphone i have headphones on as we talked about before we started this podcast that's awesome i don't know that's weird i didn't think i sounded very well yeah he has a fresh haircut christian does looks like though he's looking cleaned up christian you know what i do for a living and i've pretty much got on my knees and begged you to hunt with me i even was in hunt camp with you last year and you went down the wrong road when i turned left you kept going straight on purpose because i had cameras and you did not that's a little bit of a lie and exaggeration but you refuse to hunt on camera with me why please just i don't know it's just it's so what you do is is so difficult and to me it i respect what you do i couldn't do it it just to me it just makes it not fun would you echo that eric because you've been on the foul life both of you have but I know, but you don't hunt with me. You won't hunt with me if cameras are around. Eric, would you still hunt with me if I said I'm coming to South Dakota and me, you, and Chris are going to go eat breakfast at Rosalie's and then go out and kill mallards in the afternoon if I drew a license? Oh, I'd go hunt with you. I'd go hunt with you, but that filming is, it's it's like a whole different deal. It takes, I don't know, you've you've done such a good job with it and you're, you're on all the time and, and, and over the years, you just keep getting better and better at it, but like, Man, if you're not doing it 24-7, you gotta be thinking about it. And it's not it, it does take a lot of the fun out of the hunt. And and then I you know, of course, I drop a lot of F bombs or whatever, so I'm probably not the best to be on. So you both admitted <laughs> I don't have a you filter. guys both admitted that you and we're gonna end it by this, and we're gonna continue this part of the conversation on the next episode of the Bandit Hour with Eric Larsgaard, Christian Curtis, and myself, Chad Belding. You both alluded to the fact that your father in law watches YouTube TV and YouTube. You watch YouTube TV and YouTube, Christian. Eric, you watch it. The guy that I told you I stayed at his lodge had it locked in and watched it. Would you two be interested in brainstorming a banded hour YouTube channel or YouTube show? And then because it's based on the brand, 
Would you be interested in trying to build that? Because obviously the next generation of customers and waterfowl hunters and turkey hunters and deer hunters now with our line of deer gear are getting their content through these other avenues. I'm not saying that this has anything to do with quote unquote influencers. I'm talking about a banded hour, banded TV show on YouTube. Would you two be the spearheads and help us launch that if that was a choice or is the cameras just an automatic no and turn off? Would you be a part of that? And should we go there? I'm, we're announcing this to the listening audience. Should we go there as a company and have a banded hour or a banded TV show on YouTube? I mean, definitely the place to be is YouTube, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I know you're on TV, so I don't want to step on your toes. But, yeah, I think the place to be is YouTube for sure. No, I'm not going to be on a hunting. I'm not going to go You're not getting me on that deal. <laughs> if you want to sit around and, and we can make some other shows and hang out, that's I'm good with that, but I'm not hunting. All right. Well, we will have more news and updates on a potential Bandit Hour YouTube series. I should have said YouTube series and not TV show. I think it'd be kind of cool. I think it'd be cool to go visit you in your office there, Eric, and see what you're working on and your samples and how this business works. I guess we'd give away too many secrets, though. And there's just too easy to start a waterfowl company these days and just start knocking shit off. I mean, it happens daily. I don't want people to see what you do. You got any, uh, send me your top three spec recipes. Okay. Today. Why are you going? Did you kill some or is it open yet? Yeah, it just opened. Yeah, we killed some the other day. Did you pluck them or breast them? And if you breasted them, did you leave the fat and skin on? We plucked three. I plucked three and then breasted the rest with no skin. So do I need to leave skin on them from now on? Are they feeding dry or wet right now? Dry. There's no, what do you mean are they feeding wet? Where are they going to be no, wet? There's no water in Louisiana? There's a desert. No, it's a desert. Yeah, I got some awesome uh, dry rice recipes. Um, I'll send you. Yeah, do that. Email them to me. Do you have a uh, cast iron skillet? Come on. Do you have a butane butane torch uh, set up to where you can get it real hot like you would at a, a fish fry? Like a oh, fish yeah. fry? Okay, that's all yeah. you need. Well, you need a grill. You need a grill to start right. the, this recipe I'm going to send you and then that to finish it. Got it. Got both. Got all of it. All right. Thank you guys for this episode. Eric. I know you're a little quiet. I feel for the family that lost their grandpa last night. I know you were out. Next time, I'd like you to be a little bit more vibrant and have some samples of product to show. Christian, I like your new haircut. You look like a male model. You guys enjoy your Friday. You. Be safe this weekend, and I will send some spec recipes and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. See you in a couple weeks in Arkansas, Christian. Thanks, guys. In four. See y'all. See you. Thanks. Thank you. That's been another episode of the Bandit Hour. Christian Curtis, Eric Larsgaard. Absolutely love talking with those guys. I love this industry. I love the brand. The entire family of brands at Banded, Banded Brands, Avery Outdoors, Greenhead Gear, Avery Sporting Dog. So much to talk about, so much to reminisce on, and so much coming in the future. I cannot believe what's going on with the guys and how they design these products. Every single time I put them on, I'm blown away. Kudos to Christian. Kudos to Eric. Thank you guys for listening to another episode. Thank you ladies for listening to another episode of the Banded Hour. We'll be back with another episode. Please visit us at banded.com or check us out on all the social media platforms and look for the Banded Gear in use on brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. This week, we're in Oklahoma. We're going to Wyoming. We're going to California. We're going to be in Louisiana at Honey Break with Donald Trump Jr. on an episode that's getting ready to air. I hope you're enjoying them. We're on the road filming season 16 right now. We're not going to stop. Thank you all so much for the support. For Christian Curtis, Eric Larsgaard, I'm Chad Belding. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Bandit Hour. The majority of people have spoken, and they want more of the Bandit Hour. They asked for it. But Slovenia is the last holdout. And now they're saying, nope, don't come here anymore. Chad Belding, Eric Larsgaard, and Christian Curtis from Bandit Brands presents the Bandit Hour. Brought to you by Yukonuba and Federal Premium Black Cloud. We'll return in a moment. Hang tight. Keep talking. That's our slogan at Jargon Game Calls. The new Mega Four single read duck call with our extensive research of the gut system, the design in the Mega Four. It's different. It hits harder. It operates differently than any duck call in the market. We've heard it from everybody. They could be blown a competitor's call for years, and there's so many great duck and goose calls out there. And when they pick up the Mega Four, they're like, holy smokes, the best duck call I've ever 
operated. You don't really blow a duck call or a goose call. You operate it. It's an air system. We can go into that, but you can find instructional videos at jargongamecalls.com on our YouTube, on episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life on the Outdoor Channel. Duck calling and goose calling is an art, as well as turkey calling, and our entire turkey call line is available at jargongamecalls.com. But the megaphore, and then you get into short read goose calls, the wrecking ball and the crazy train. Listen to the difference in sound, the ease of use, the quality of acrylic, the turning of it, the design, the engraving. A lot of research has gone into these designs. My partner Chris, myself, our entire crew at Jargon, located in northeast Arkansas, right in the heart of Mallard Duck Country. They're designed in America, and they're built by craftsmen, dreamers, duck hunters, waterfowl lovers, duck camp goers. We absolutely love this lifestyle, and our entire line of J-Frame single-read duck calls, our double-read, the icebreaker, you're going to love them all. People are going nuts about the sounds and the results they're getting from Jargon Game Calls, both our duck, goose, and turkey calls. More to come. Visit us at JargonGameCalls.com and get you a Mega 4 for this season, a live duck, a paradox, so many great duck calls to choose from. And don't forget that crazy train and wrecking ball short read style Canada goose calls. We just hammered them in upstate New York with them on our lanyards. The geese truly respond to them. I'm Chad Belding with the Foul Life Television. Thank you for supporting Jargon Game Calls. I love snacks. I love protein. I love having it at my disposal at all times. You never know when you're going to get hungry. You never know when that hunt is going to go longer. That drive is going to go longer. Why not make sure that you have a high protein enriched snack like Jack Link's jerkies, whether it's the sticks, whether it's the cold craft, whether it's the traditional jerky, the flavors, the freshness, the packaging, the design, the entire culture of this business built with Mr. Jack himself, his son, Troy. They support the American hunter, their American brand, living the American dream, and they deserve it. I love their snacks, their flavors. I can go into all of them, but there's the deal pickle there's the teriyaki the original the peppered sweet and hot i can keep going on the cold craft side the salamis the cheeses unbelievable innovation into the way snacks should be no carbohydrates low in sugar great flavor high in protein build that muscle make sure that you support the companies and products that support us here and jack links is the official snack of the foul life podcast and benelli's the foul life tv Have you become a member of California Waterfowl Association, CWA? Check them out at calwaterfowl.org. It doesn't matter if you live in Kansas or Florida, New York, Alberta, Arkansas, Iowa. I don't care. Become a member of California Waterfowl Association. They're fighting for hunters' rights every day behind the scene. Their advocacy is second to none. They are an unbelievable force to be reckoned with. And if I told you the work that they're doing right now, you would want to become a member. It can happen to us all. You saw Bill 28 just got signed into law. CWA is still continuously fighting that to get rid of that 11% tax on firearms and ammunition. It's going to spread eastward, I promise. And CWA has been at the forefront of hunters' rights, not just waterfowl hunters, but upland hunters, deer hunters, predator hunters, bear hunters, you name it. They have fought for the rights of so many outdoors men and women across this country, and they continue to do so, and they need our help. Become a life member. Become a yearly member at calwaterfowl.org. Attend a banquet if you you're in the area, hit us up at info at thefowllife.com if you need any questions answered. Put that decal on your truck window, on your trailer. Be a proud member of California Waterfowl Association and join the fight. We need it, I promise you. It's CWA. I'm a proud member. Everybody on the Fowl Life crew is. You can see a ton of episodes we film with my good friend Rock Merlo in upstate California representing California Waterfowl Association. If it wasn't for them, I truly don't know what the state of waterfowl hunting and other species would be in the state of California. Let's get involved. Let's become a member. CalWaterfowl.org. Thank you for supporting the California Waterfowl Association. Don't worry. Bandit Brands presents the Bandit Hour may be over, but our conversation lives on at thefowllife.com. What do the kids say? we got a fresh drop. Fresh drop, but not crazy amounts of it. To follow along and listen in to the Bandit crew, hop on thefowllife.com. And for all your hunting gear needs and to shop for the outdoors man or woman in your life this holiday season, visit bandit.com. Thanks for listening. Stay Bandit and God bless the hunter. Sure.